Well, good morning. All of those of you who ventured out, it is good to see you here. We'll keep warm. And those who are online, we're glad you're joining us. And uh, we can worship together, whether we're here or apart, as long as we're still trying to connect somehow uh, with the body of Christ. We are beginning a a new year with a new series, just kind of introduce some things uh, through this year. We'll look at a few things right at the beginning of the year about our, our, our church, um, our, our mission, our vision, our purpose, and what it means to be a church. And uh, so we're going to enjoy some just kind of discovering really who we are. In the middle of all this, we're also working on a, uh, a Discovering FCC class that will be starting up here later on in the spring to kind of give you an idea of who we are, what, what's going on, because I know we've got new people that have come. We've got people who've been here for you know, their entire lives, and, uh, but things have changed. So we're, we're making some plans. So today we're going to begin this new uh, idea of maintaining our focus, which is keeping our focus on Christ. But how do we do that? Well, Fred somebody, Thomas everybody, Peter anybody, and Joe nobody, they, they were neighbors, but they weren't only neighbors, uh, and they, they were a little bit different. They really kind of were like you and me, but yet they were kind of odd and, uh, and, and most difficult to understand. Really, the way they lived was a shame. Um, they, they belonged to the same church, but you probably would not have enjoyed worshiping with them. Um, everybody went fishing on Sunday or else he stayed home and visited with friends or whatever. And, and uh, anybody wanted to worship but was afraid that somebody might be there and wouldn't speak to them. And so, so guess who went to church? Nobody. You guessed it. All right. Really, nobody was one of the decent one of the four when you kind of put it all together. Once they, they needed a Sunday school teacher and everybody thought that anybody would do it and anybody thought somebody would do it. But you know who did it, don't you? Nobody. And it just so happened that, that there was a fifth neighbor who moved into their subdivision, but he was an unbeliever, and, 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 and everybody thought that somebody would try to win him to Christ, and anybody could have made the effort, but you probably figured it out who finally won him. Nobody. And we as a church... We're the body of Christ is who we are. We, we're a part of His kingdom. We're, we're a part of what He has established in this world to pass on the knowledge of who He is and what He desires in us. And we have this tremendous amount of work ahead of us that we need to do in our generation and in our time so that it is still here down the road. I mean, Greg was speaking about the kings, and some were evil and some were good, but it seemed like at some point they had forgotten about the relationship with God. And Hezekiah wanted to get it back. So often we say that we have a great work to do, but yet we are unsure of who is going to do it and, 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 and how it's going to get done. And so Jesus, I believe, would never send us forth with a mission without giving us the details about how we're supposed to fulfill that mission. I, I don't think that's the way it would go. I mean, have you ever taken a new job and they didn't give you a job description? Uh, and they didn't tell you any expectations. They just hired you and, and figure it out. That's kind of, you know, I, I don't think Jesus works that way, do you? I don't think he says, you're going to do this and just figure it out on your way. Uh, he, he gives us the details. Matter of fact, when he was talking with 
his disciples about this specific thing about building the church. Listen to what he had to say in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says, And I tell you, you're Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I think a lot of times we fail to realize that Jesus promised that he would be the one that would build his church. And sometimes we think that it is we are the ones who are building the church. But you know what? It's up to us to be instruments of obedience in his hands. We are the vessels in which he uses to actually build that church. So we just need to be willing to be used. In Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18 through 20, the end of the chapter there, we discover Jesus' commission or his, his um, command for us as how we're to go about into this world. He makes this statement as he said to them. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Now, now I think there's some validity to the old adage that you're the only Bible that many people will ever read. Matter of fact, Paul makes this statement in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, when he says that, and you show that you are a letter from God, or from Christ, delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. So people do read Jesus in us and, and how we live and how we act and how we respond. And so my question for you is this, do people need to squint to read your Jesus story? Or are you living your life in a world of large print where everybody gets to see it? I mean, that's a good question I think I need to ask myself. How easy is it for them to see Jesus in me? in this letter that's been written upon my heart. We do have a mission as a part of the Worldwide Church of Jesus. And as a local congregation, that mission is important for us to, to follow as well. And I think it's kind of like a threefold way that, that we have looked at as a leadership. First off, I want to lay out to you, what is our mission? What are we supposed to be doing as a church? Well, we're, we're called or commissioned or commanded by Christ be making disciples who love God and others. That's who we are. We're a church that, that is supposed to make disciples who love God and others. It's as simple as that, right? Okay, class dismissed. No, that, that's not where it goes. So what does it mean, making disciples? I mean, what is discipleship anyway? Understandably, the main task of the church is to pass faith on from one generation to the next. I mean, that's what Jesus wants us to do. Transmission of faith has been the top priority for God in us for all of history. I mean, when you, when you consider how God instructed the Israelites in, in just the, the, the meticulous focus on passing on their faith from one generation to the next generation, he laid it out for them. So the Old Testament is right there, but somewhere they missed the mark. You think maybe that, that God realized that all it takes really is one generation to lose faith? 
I think we see it in a lot of families, don't we? We see a family that is on fire for, for Christ and for the kingdom of God. All of a sudden, one generation later, they're gone. God understood that. But you see, He wants to make the central part of our lives His story. And that needs to go on to our children, to our children's children, and to the next generation, and so forth and so on. And it's so important for us that we need to pass that on. We've got to maintain a good relationship with Him so that even our kids and our grandchildren will want to have that same kind of relationship with God. So how do we take on this incredibly important task of making disciples? I believe that, that it is the main priority of the church. Otherwise, the church disappears. Some of you may remember a comedian by the name of Yakov Smirnov. He was down in Branson for many years. All right, He comes from Russia, and, and he's got a, quite the, uh, the sense of humor. Well, he wasn't prepared when he came here for the incredible variety of, of instant products that were on our shelves in the grocery stores in America. And so he makes this statement. He says, on my first shopping trip, I saw powdered milk. You just add water, and you get milk. Then I saw powdered orange juice. You just add water, and you get orange juice. Then I saw baby powder. And I thought to myself, what a country. I mean, what a country indeed. We, we have so many things in America at the moment, in an instant. We are such a microwave society that we don't like to wait for things, and it comes quick. And if it's not as quick as we want, we've got issues. I don't know how long it takes for you to fry an egg at home, but when you go through one of those restaurants in the drive-up, by the time you place your order and you go through, there it is. It's, it's almost instantaneous, and we think, wow, that's good. Now, we all like things instant. But faith isn't instant. Discipleship doesn't happen immediate. It takes time, and it takes a great cost for discipleship as well. Martin Luther once wrote, he said, A religion that gives nothing, costs nothing, and suffers nothing is worth nothing. And so we, in the process of making disciples, we've got to pass on that information. It's not just an instantaneous thing. We are blessed that Christ has already paid the cost for us on the cross. So now all we need to do is focus on sharing that news with other people. And as you live your lives, basically, he says, make disciples. So... Uh, if you tell your child to go to their room and clean their room, you know what's going to happen, don't you? You walk in later and it's still the same. But if you tell your child to go to the room and you say, I want you to pick up all your clothes, make your bed, throw away the trash, and vacuum the floor, now you've given them some idea of what it means to have a clean room. All right, so now they know, okay, I need to go in there and I need to do all these things that you have told me to do. Well, Jesus, in essence, did the same thing. Now, he didn't tell us to go to our room and clean things up, but he told us to clean up our lives, didn't he? 
And then he told us how to do that. And he told us exactly how to make disciples as well. And we saw that in Matthew chapter 28. He says, you need to go, then baptize and teach them to obey. And in making disciples, we need to follow Jesus' orders to the T. We don't want to leave things out. We don't want to ignore him. And we're going to make disciples according to his directions. We must understand one very basic thing. We are making disciples of Jesus. We are not making disciples of John Wagner or put your name in there. They're not about becoming like you. They're about becoming like him. And the way they do that is by us becoming like him and showing them that. Paul even says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. So we make disciples of Jesus, and understanding that is the key. Now, there are three elements, I think, that are associated with following in obedience to Jesus and his commands to do this. The first one is this, the connection part of go. And many point out that the translation probably shouldn't just be go, but it should be translated maybe you know, as you're going or as you go in life, make disciples. In other words, we're to make connections with people in our daily lives. And those people don't really know who Jesus is yet, but because we run into them, they're going to discover who he is. Now, there was a certain donkey that was filled with a lot of pride and self-importance. It seemed like whenever there was a really a big need, they called upon him to do these certain things. And, and he could do that. I mean, he was strong and he could carry a lot of weight. And, and he was good at keeping people on his back and not tipping them off. And so everything was really good. And, and, and one day he'd given this assignment. And, and so he was surprised, though, however, when he was out doing his work, that all of a sudden everybody was celebrating the fact that he was doing his work. Matter of fact, they were putting palm branches down on the road in front of him and taking off their cloaks and laying them there. And he was walking on this carpet of, of, of palm branches and, and clothes. And, and everybody was celebrating the fact. But the truth was, it wasn't him. It was Jesus who was entering into town. And sometimes we lose our, our focus as well. And we think that they're celebrating us. But the humility aspect is this. It's not about you. It's about Jesus in you and what he's doing. As a church, you see, it's not about us. I mean, we're just a bunch of donkeys that are carrying Jesus with us wherever he needs to go. And they're going to celebrate him instead of us. We're just the messengers. Really, it's all about Jesus. And our job is to keep taking Jesus everywhere we go. Now, the second aspect of not only going, but the, this, this aspect of conversion that needs to take place in their life, and he brings in the point of baptism. And the main thing we need to understand here is that baptism is a part about making disciples. You can't leave it out. I mean, it's certainly seen in Scripture that baptism is necessary in our relationship with Christ and in becoming a Christian. 
I mean, I can refer to quite a few scriptures. Well, let me give you just a, a few really quick ones, and if you want them later, I'll, I'll give them to you. But we can look at Matthew 28, 19, Mark 16, 16, Acts 2, 38 and 2, 41 and 8, 12 and 13 and 18, and Acts 9, verse 18 and Acts 10, 47 and 48 and Acts 16, 15 and 33, Acts 18, 8, Acts 19, 9, Acts 22, 16, Romans 6, 1 through 7, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Galatians 3, 27 and 1 Peter 3, 21. You get the picture. The New Testament is full of this understanding. If you're going to be a disciple, baptism is a part of it. The problem is we have a lot of people who are leaving that out. Baptism is not something that we can leave out of God's plan for making disciples, but we have a lot of churches who are doing that. So our waters are warm. Matter of fact, they're even stirred today because the filter's going through. And we understand that that's a part of who we are in Christ. I mean, just like a child that you tell to clean your room, there are certain expectations. And when you're in the business of making disciples, there are certain expectations that Jesus has, and He's told us what that is. And we shouldn't negate it. If you're a Christian, you are in the business of baptizing others. You can't ignore it. You can't overlook it. You can't leave it out, and you can't put it off. Baptism is significant. And if you disagree, I need to see proof. Because I've got a lot of scriptures that prove to me that it's a part of the experience of being a Christian. So, while you are going out on your mission field and living the Word of God into the people that you trust, you, 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 you're living with, you gain their trust by how you act. And then as a result of that, they, they, they start watching you and witnessing how you live and how you talk and how you respond to other people. And they listen a little bit of you telling them what Jesus has done for you and how he has changed your life and, and what he can do in their lives. And you are in the process of gaining their trust that they will actually maybe join you in faith. But first they have to trust you before they're going to trust Jesus. They have to see the Word lived out in your life before they're going to clothe themselves with Christ. They have to see that they can trust not only you, but Jesus. And it's at that point when they begin to trust in Jesus, and, and they, they, they follow that up with Christian baptism. Now, prior to that, they've been following you as you've been showing them Jesus and, and enabling them. But now at this point, it is decision in their life in which they're saying, now, I'm going to disciple and I'm going to follow him and not you. And so we learn to follow when we turn to trust in Jesus and we follow his plan. And therefore, they become disciples of Christ. And they, in turn, begin to share their faith and live out their faith so that other people then we'll want to follow him too. To be a disciple means to be one who follows the teachings of Jesus, one who is sharing the teachings of Jesus, and one who has implemented them in everything they do in life. Which brings us to community. We're supposed to teach. Jesus said we're supposed to teach them to observe everything that he's commanded them. That's important for us. I mean, what is it that we're supposed to teach him? All the things he commanded. We don't leave things out. 
And so it's important for us to take them through the Scriptures, and a great part is to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, because there you're going to find what Jesus said. And the rest of the New Testament also applies what Jesus says and puts it into some practical application of how we do that. So we teach them what Jesus says. All that He commanded, and all that He commanded didn't end when He ascended into heaven, because then He sent His Spirit to inspire the apostles to write and to give a better understanding for us. And so we don't just take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We also take on the rest of the New Testament. And really, the Old Testament as well has a lot of bearing on how we live. He didn't come to do away with the Old Testament. He came to fulfill it, to show us how it should have been done. So we're to teach them the whole Word of God, how to live and how to lead people to Christ and to make disciples. Well, that's kind of the process of making disciples. A Christian shares with someone through their life and words about Jesus and about salvation. And then they teach them then what they need to do in order to connect with Him and then to have community with one another. Someone moves through this trust they have in Christ to trusting Jesus. They begin to follow Him with being obedient in baptism. And they begin to follow even more by going out into the world and leading other people to Jesus, to making disciples. Many years ago, there was an evangelist by the name of Yaakov. Now, not the Yaakov Shmirnov, but another Yaakov. Uh, and, and he was uh, uh, arrived in a village in Serbia. While he was there, he, he met an elderly man by the name of Simmerman. And, and, and Yaakov began to talk about his love for Christ and God's love for, for people. But Simmerman abruptly interrupted him and, 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 Yaakov, and, and told him that he wanted to have nothing to do with God. He said Christianity was awful. And he reminded him of, of, of the dreadful history of the church in Serbia, in his hometown where the leaders had, they, they, they had plundered, they had exploited, and they had killed innocent people. Yeah, that was the church. And then he told Yaakov, my own nephew, nephew was killed by them, he said, angrily rejecting any effort on Yaakov's part to introduce him to Jesus. And he told Yaakov, they wear those elaborate crosses and coats, but their evil designs and lives I cannot ignore. And I'm thinking, wow. He's speaking about Christians. And we see what the church did. And Yaakov replied, Simmerman, can I ask you a question? He said, suppose I were to steal your coat, put it on, and break into a bank. Suppose further that the police cited the running, cited me running in the distance, but they could not catch up to me. And one clue, however, put them onto your track. They recognized your coat. What would you say to them if they came to your house and accused you of breaking into the bank? He said, I would deny it. And Yaakov then countered. He says, ah, but we saw your coat. And they would say, but the analogy annoyed Christian, or annoyed Zimmerman, and he ordered Yaakov to leave his house.
Even after that conversation, Yaakov continued to come back and visit this man in that village through the years. And he shared with him his life, and he shared with him his love. And one day, Simmerman finally asked him, he says, how does one become a Christian? And he began to teach him how to put his own faith in Jesus and to trust in the Lord Finally, Simmerman got down on his knees and he confessed his life before Christ as a sinner. He was baptized. And as he rose from his watery grave, he began to wipe tears from his eyes and, and he embraced Yaakov and he said, thank you for being in my life. And then he pointed to the heavens and he whispered, you wear his coat very well. You see, Paul tells us that we clothe ourselves in Christ. We put on Christ. And what they are supposed to see is Him, not us. And in making a disciple, you have got to show them Jesus and not yourself. So, we know that we're supposed to be making disciples. But what kind of disciples? We're supposed to make disciples who love God. And if there's anyone who could tell us how to love God, I think it would be the Apostle John. I mean, he was in the inner circle of Jesus, and he was with him during those three years in ministry, and, and, and it seemed like he even got to experience some of those really wonderful and special events that, that may have taken place just with, with, with Jesus and maybe a couple other guys. And, and so all that we have here, he even refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So let's look a little bit at what he gives us, some insight on how to love God. And in his gospel, he speaks about the love of God. I mean, he's the one who tells us that wonderful verse that most of us have probably memorized in John 3, 16, remember? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, there are three other letters that he wrote besides the gospel, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. They're towards the end of your Bible. And he delves into the love of God more deeply within. And he goes on to tell us what our response should be to God's never-ending love. Listen to what he says in 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. He says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and do what? Obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments, they're not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Now, in this passage, Jesus or John gives us two indicators of our love for God. Our faith in Jesus Christ and our love for God shows how much we love God. Our faith in Him and our love for Him shows really the importance of that love that we have. So let me illustrate it this way. Let's say that you tell me that you love me and that you care about me. Hypothetically, all right? But one day, my car won't start, 
and I've got a really important appointment that day that I can't miss. And, and so let's suppose I, I sent my son over to your house to see if you could, you know, lend me your car so that I can get to that appointment. But instead of giving your car to my son, you start yelling at him, asking him, who do you think you are coming here and trying to borrow my car? How do I even know that you can drive? And you tell him that you wouldn't give him the crumbs off your table if he was starving, and you tell him to get out of your house... But you don't stop there. As he's leaving, you attack him from behind and you beat him up and you leave him laying in your yard. Now, when I find out about what you've done, what do you think I'm going to say the next time I see you and you tell me that you love me? I'll probably call you a liar. And for good reason. You know, your lack of faith in my son shows that you have no faith in me. And your lack of love for my son really tells me that you don't love me either. And if you love me, you probably would have loved my son as well. And I think the same thing is true with God. You see, our faith in Jesus Christ is a starting point for everything that relates to God. And how we treat him and how we respond to him ultimately is our response to our Creator and the one who has made us. You see, it's not just enough to believe because there are a lot of people who believe in God. There are a lot of people who acknowledge that Jesus is Lord and they willingly admit that. But if you don't, follow it with obedience it's nothing loving God is being obedient to him our obedience of God's command shows how much we love God remember what he said there in 1 John 5 3 for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome Jesus once told a parable about about a father who had two boys and about obedience in, in his sons. Listen to what he had to say. is in Matthew chapter 21, beginning in verse 28. He says, what do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first, and he said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind, and he went. And he went to the other son and said the same thing, and he answered, I, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, well, the first. Jesus answered them, truly, I say to you, the tax collector and the prostitute go into the kingdom of God before you. You see, we can all say all day long that we love God. We can wear our cross necklaces and put our fish symbols on our cars and all the other wonderful Christian logos on our bumpers. We can come to church every Sunday. Man, we can be really healthy in our giving. And we can even pray in public, you know? We can do all these things, but if we don't do what He says, we really don't love Him. And it's not about the things for show. 
It's about the heart. And if we truly love Him, we want to please Him in our thoughts, and our words, and our actions. Loving God is, is expressing a liking for Him, and we, we show that in the things that we do. The heartbeat of God's love for us is the sacrifice that He made on the cross by sending His Son there. And there's no other way that we can show God that we love Him other than sacrificing our wants, our desires, and giving ourselves over to Him and dying to ourself and living for Him. To profess our love for God but to fail to obey His commands shows our true attitude about what we think about Him. So we know as a church we're supposed to be making disciples who love God. But it goes beyond that. We're to make disciples who love God and others. And many people will never know what love feels like in this place because they don't come. Unfortunately, most people, they get what it means to feel hated or unwanted. They don't have friends, and life has always been full of bullies, people who are always there accosting them. So they understand all that. I mean, even some of you have never, would never let it show outside, but you're living lives of quiet desperation as you feel unloved in this world. And we feel lonely, don't we? We need acceptance. We need care. We need love. And we need to feel wanted and desired. But the thing is, sometimes we don't really know what love is. And since we've never really experienced it ourselves, there are a lot of people who don't know how to express it either. But I want you to know, love is here in this place. And I've heard it in the past two years that I've been here over and over again from people who visit. They feel loved. They feel accepted. They feel wanted. They feel welcomed. Love is here. So if you're looking for love, you've come to the right place. You realize that when you walked into this building, you walked through a wall of love. You were probably greeted by somebody. Maybe someone smiled at you, or possibly somebody may have even given you a hug this morning. They welcomed you in with open arms. They asked you how you're doing. Sincerely, they wanted to know. And that's love. Most parents, they love their children. Most husbands love their wives. Most sisters love their brothers. It may not always be the other way around, but, but we, we understand, right? And we think love is a feeling, and, and when we don't feel that feeling, we don't feel like we've been loved, right? It's all based on feelings. Feelings are subjective. Love isn't. Love is intentional, and it is designed that way. Love can still be there even when you're angry with someone. Love is a choice that you make to forgive when somebody has wronged you. Love is the faithfulness. Love is what we give. I mean, one of the biggest errors of our time is the belief that love is primarily this emotion, this feeling, but love is so much more than just that. It's a choice that values someone other than themselves. 
It's a decision to care for and be kind to another person no matter what they've done or what they haven't done. Love compels the one who is loving to deny their self for the benefit of the other. People would die for the love of their country. I mean, I hear it all the time, you know. And we applaud them and we call them heroes because they believe that their country is very important. And every time we make a choice to put ourselves out for another person, we demonstrate that love. Jesus said, greater love has no one than this. And he laid down his life for his friends. So where does that kind of love come from? Well, 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay our lives down for the brothers. And then he goes on to say in chapter 4 of 1 John, he says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And this is the love that was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And in this love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. And by this, we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him and He in God. So, we have come to know and to believe that the love that God has for us God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, loving others is all a part of, if we love God, we're going to have to love other people. Jesus, they were trying to trap him one day when they wanted to know what was the greatest commandment out there. And he said, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is just like it. They, They go hand in hand. Love your neighbor as yourself. He says those two right there, they sum up all the laws of the prophets. You see, true love is seen in Jesus. 
It's seen in his death. I mean, it's the, it, it is the visual definition of what ultimate love is. Laying down our lives makes cooking a meal for a family in need seem very small. It, it makes picking up a phone and calling somebody just a simple task. Spending time with someone is really not asking too much when you love them enough to lay your life down for them. And see, God has loved, and He has loved us for all eternity. You realize that, don't you? Even before you were a twinkle in your mother's eye, He loved you. And when the twinkle goes out of yours, He loves you still. He takes the initiative in our individual salvation. We didn't choose Him, but He chose us. We hated Him. We were his enemies, and yet he loved us. We sinned against him, and he poured out his grace on us. He took our punishment. I mean, that's what propitiation means. So how can we learn to love like that? I mean, love is a mark of salvation. It comes from God and our response to God's love for us. Love is our mission. Jay Adams, in his book, The Christian Counselor Manual, he, he, he says this. Love for God and one's neighbor constitutes the sum of God's requirements for the Christian. The man who loves needs no counseling. Love cements relationship between God and man and man and man. While love attracts, fear repels. When love gives, lust grabs. What love builds, hate destroys. With love... Communication flourishes. With resentment, it withers. Then he says, love is the ultimate answer to all the problems of living with which the Christian counselor deals. Love, therefore, is the goal. So even in counseling, what he is saying, your goal when you're counseling somebody is to teach them how to love. And that will solve all their problems. So who should we love? Well, I believe that who we love is very crucial. I mean, it's, it's extremely important. Should we only love those who love us? No. I mean, we, we don't wait for others to love us. We, we want to love initially to begin with. We, as a matter of fact, we already have somebody who loved us. God loved us first, and therefore that's why we love. We need to take the initiative to love, and we should, of course, love the world, and we should start with the church. Because in a lot of churches, believe it or not, there are people who don't love each other in them. One sits on this aisle and the other sits on this aisle and never the twain shall meet, right? I mean, that's just the way it is. We start with one person in the church that you can learn to love like Christ as He's already loved you and taught you. Loving Christians is an, an inclusive, outreaching way because it also builds mission and it sends out others into this world to bring them in. In John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. 
if you have love for one another. See, I think those words there in John 13 have two applications for us. The first is this. For the visitor, for the the non-Christian, if they discover real love here, they discover that we're a real church and we are real disciples of Jesus. But then to each of us in our own hearts, we, we cannot know we're saved unless God has so poured out His love in our hearts that that love overflows and we begin to love other people around us, especially the body of Christ. I heard a song on the radio. Matter of fact, I found a video of it. Why don't we close out with this? It's by Brandon Heath, and he sings the song, Give Me Your Eyes. And I want you to recognize this. As you are going out into this world making disciples and teaching them to observe everything that he has commanded them, and you're baptizing them into his name and to the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you need to see the people around you because they need Jesus too. broken sky, traced out by the city lights, my world from a mile high, best seat in the house tonight, touch down in the cold black top, hold on for the sudden stop, breathing the familiar shock of confusion and chaos, all those people going somewhere, why have I never cared? Give me your eyes for just one second Give me your eyes so I can see Everything that I keep missing Give me your love for humanity Give me your arms for the broken hearted The ones that are far beyond my reach Give me your heart for the ones forgotten Give me your eyes so I can see Yeah 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 Step out on a busy street See a girl in our eyes meet Does her best to smile at me To hide what's underneath There's a man just to right Black suit and a bright red tie Too ashamed to tell his wife He's out of work, he's buying time All those people going somewhere Why have I never Give me your eyes for just one second Give me your eyes so I can see Everything that I keep missing Give me your love for humanity Give me your arms for the broken hearted The ones that are far beyond my reach Give me your heart for the ones forgotten Give me your eyes so I can see Yeah 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 yeah. I've been here a million times, a couple million eyes Just moving past me by, I swear I never thought that I was wrong well, 
So I can see Give me your eyes Lord, give me your eyes For everything That I keep missing Give me your heart For the broken hearted Give me your heart Lord, give me your eyes Yeah 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 Father, we live in a world where people are passing us by on a daily basis and they don't know Jesus. Father, give us the ability to see as you see a lost world, a hurting world. And Father, that it would break our heart that we would stop and we would interact with them. And Father, we would somehow fulfill that mission that that Jesus has given us to make disciples. Father, to, to show them of your love and to love them ourselves so that this generation is not lost. Use us. It's in Jesus' name.